Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. One of the things that people need to do and really don't want to do quite often in a divorce is hiring an attorney. A multitude of reasons. There's a trust factor there. Is the attorney really going to be working for them and not overcharging them? Is the attorney going to make things worse, not better? And people even avoid getting attorney advice just to get attorney advice. They don't, they think it's being disloyal to their spouse to get attorney advice. That's crazy. Everybody needs attorney advice. But on today's episode, I am so excited to present a one-of-a-kind person. Her name is Jordana Confino. She is a professional coach, a law school assistant dean, an adjunct professor at Fordham Law School, and she has this course called Positive Lawyering. Jordana, first of all, welcome and thank you for being who you are. Oh, thank you for having me. I am so thrilled to be here. And I will note that you left one thing out of my bio, which is that I am, I am a recovering lawyer. I'm, I have, we have to admit this. We can't, we, I, 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 I confess I, I, I was, am a lawyer as well. God help me. <laughs> Thank you for that confession, because (laughs) truth is next to godliness. So thank you for that. This is why I assume you went from regular lawyering to your whole new concept that I think is revolutionary unto itself, positive lawyering. Would you please tell us how you even got that brainstorm of an idea? Yeah, absolutely. And so the truth The truth is that I found positive lawyering because I was an unhappy lawyer and I was an unhappy law student. And I think there, it won't shock your listeners to hear that the legal profession isn't, isn't the most positive place in general. Um, makes sense. Generally are, we're working with people who are not in happy circumstances and that's why they're hiring us. And it tends to be a very adversarial, very stressful profession. Um, but I think there's also a lot of things about the people who tend to go to law school and the conceptions about what you need to do in order to be successful that causes a lot of lawyers, like other high-achieving professionals, to really sacrifice their own happiness and their own well-being, um, they think, for the sake of their success. And this was something that had happened to me. I saw it happening to people around me, and I really just reached a point where I was not happy and it wasn't working for me anymore. I had spent my whole life doing the shoulds and I wanted to do something else. And so I, it's ridiculous, but I discovered positive psychology when I was Googling how to be happy um, because I was so not happy. And I discovered, I from article to article, I discovered that there's actually this whole body of psychology that focuses on the science of human, not just human happiness, but human flourishing and I became obsessed. I ended up getting my certification in positive psychology. It blew up my brain. I decided that every lawyer and law student 
needs to know these things that none of them do. And I made it my mission at that point to devote my career to humanizing the legal profession and also equipping lawyers and other high achieving professionals with the insights and tools that they can use to build both satisfying and sustainably successful careers um, in whatever field that is. Humanizing the legal profession. That that's perfect. Right then and there, with every wonderful thing you just said. Let's talk about that a second. Because it's a different language lawyers speak. I don't care what area of law you work in. It is a different language and, and people tend to work, even talk in acronyms. So it's a different language. It's a different outlook um, on uh, solving problems, I think. How do you, what are the steps in humanizing? What do lawyer, traditional lawyers have to do to get over to the other side, the human side? Absolutely. And I, and I'm glad you asked that because this is actually really good, um, a really good practice for anyone because lawyers are basically hum, regular humans on steroids when it comes to the negativity bias, which we're all, we're all born with. So, you know, evolutionarily speaking, we, in order to survive, we had to be more able to hone in on the negative things because that would keep us alive. You know, if there's a lion lurking out there, we want to spot it. And we, if, if, if there's a chance that that, you know, stick on the ground could be a snake, we want to run in the other direction so we don't die. And so we're all, you know, wired to focus on the negative, but this is really intensified in legal training because law school is literally a three-year crash course in what we call issue spotting, which is, you know, scanning a fact, scouring a fact pattern and identifying every possible flaw and fault and anticipating every negative eventuality that could possibly go wrong so that we can safeguard our clients' interests. But the problem is, is that when we're continuously thinking in this way and training ourselves to think of this way even more, we build these neural connections in our brain that wire our brain to always be looking for flaws and faults. And what happens is that that spills out over and impacts the way that we view ourselves and our lives outside the classroom, how we, you know, look at our, our friends and loved ones. And that's an, a quick recipe for depression, um, anxiety, and and social isolation. So that, that, that's just one thing. And then the other, another thing is just, I mean, the adversarial nature of the profession. Again, I mean, this is, this is something that people always say, how can law possibly be more stressful than medicine? Because the, the, um, the statistics in terms of anxiety and depression are actually quite higher in law than in medicine. And when I say is, well, when a doctor, goes in for surgery, they're not sending another doctor in to try to kill the patient. Like everyone's on the same team. And in law, it's actually like adversity is literally the name of the game. And they're at zero sum, win it at all cost mentality, again, is not a way to make friends and influence people um, outside of the courtroom or inside it, you know, depending on, on the scenario. So when my clients call me and say, Judy, I did call these lawyers, but I have no idea what they were talking about. They can't answer a simple question. Yes or no. What does this mean? And you just explained it. They go through this series of every possibility that could possibly go wrong. 
A fact pattern is cool, though. And if you haven't, for those who have done nothing in law ever, I love a good fact pattern. So if we could just do this a second, can you explain to the public what a fact pattern is? So a fact pattern is, you know, this massive block of text. It's generally a a totally convoluted story that's presented. X, Y, Z happens. And then at the end, in general, it's like, what are all the possible claims and resolutions and defenses that could come out on every side? And what the lawyer's job to do is pick apart every possible thing and identify, you know, what are, what, if you're on side A, so Judith, if let's say the fact pattern is, is that I am driving my ice cream truck down the street and a zebra comes out of the woods and runs across of it and in front of it. And I swerve off and I hit your bicycle, Judith, and I've destroyed your bicycle. And now you're traumatized and what are all the possible claims that come from this? And so my lawyer's job would be to look and say, okay, what is every possible thing that Judith could try to sue you for? And how? what are the possible defenses about that? How can we get around those things? And also while we're at it, what can we possibly sue Judith for? How is how is this possibly her her help? Like what what, what cross claims can we be here? Like what is every advantage that we can get here? That's what that's what the, the lawyer you know we want to zealously represent our client um, and see see what the situation is there. Of course, there is ethics is part of your legal training too, and so that's something that is really it's it's a foundational element of legal education, and I think that the, that. There's a lot of lawyers out there that get short shrift because, you know, one of one of the things that contributes to the lawyer mental mental health crisis, and there is a lawyer mental health crisis, is this fact that everyone hates us and everyone thinks that we're terrible and out to get them and that we have no morals. And it's not true for everyone. It's certainly, you know, true for some, but I would say that there are some, you know, some evil doctors and librarians and firefighters out there too. Um, and I so I agree. Yeah. But it does create more of, you know, in our hyper rushed and stressful world, it always requires effort and intentionality to be kind and to be thoughtful and to be compassionate and to be ethical. And I think that given the nature of the profession, lawyers have an even steeper battle and a bigger hurdle in order to remember and take the time and the effort to do all of those things in the context of a profession that's kind of setting them up to not. Okay. So in your fact pattern, if since it was my bicycle yes, that was demolished, I'm going to look for who owns the zebra. I'm going back to the owner of the zebra. And if the zebra acted alone, I want to know what kind of resources the zebra has to pay me. So that's excellent. 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 And I don't know. Do you remember? The zebra always has resources, by the way. Thank you for saying that. I always felt that. Deep pockets in those zebras. 
Well, the zebra obviously was having a great day of it because it was out and about on its own. And do you remember that show, Allie McBeal, a million years ago? Of course. Um, who uh, Calissa Flockhart married Harrison Ford. They just got divorced, by the way. It was a oh huge my goodness. It was a huge divorce. I haven't done anything about it on this podcast, but I just read about it. So you brought up so many great things about what it's like to be a lawyer, why people meet the lawyer that they meet when they are in need of legal advice. And I do have a soft spot for for lawyers, the good lawyers, the ethical lawyers. And there are, there really are those who simply want to help in family law. And I thought personal injury was the worst kind of situation, but uh uh-uh, family law is like at the top of the biggest hurt. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and the biggest, um, emotional experience. I think family law. So I think family law lawyers come in two camps. Those who actually care. And those who look at your emotions and the fact that you're unhinged as their college fund for their kids. And that's exactly what happens. So this is a shout out to those listening. If you can please address the emotions of divorce and go through what I call the emotional divorce first, before you start filing, you will A, hire the right lawyer for you. Don't you think Jordana energy attracts energy? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, even picking your lawyer, you know, if you want to hurt your spouse, you'll find somebody who's into hurting. But if you don't, you should find someone who's a little bit more collaborative. And fortunately, lawyers are categorized that way. So Jordana, to be, when you teach positive lawyering, would you please give us some aspects of that class? What do you teach them? Absolutely. And so maybe just taking a step back, positive psychology. So positive Mm. psychology is actually a very new, relatively new um, area of psychology. It's was born in the very early nineties. And so traditionally before that, psychology always revolved around a disease model. So you were diagnosing and treating mental illness. And in the early 1990s, Marty Seligman, who at the time was the president of the American Psychological Association, said that we need to, we need to move beyond that and rather than just focusing on what's go what goes wrong in in mental health we should also be focusing on what gives rise to optimal human functioning or human flourishing and so rather than just focusing on how can we bring people from negative 10 so anxious depressed to zero neutral what is it that enable some people to go from zero to five or from zero to 10. And so that's what positive psychology explores. And so what it does is it explores the science under all of these things. So first, the when you if you could say, why should we care? It looks at the relationship between personal well-being, um, happiness, flourishing, those types of things, and performance and professional success and physical health because there's actually a strong, strong, strong connection. And so I'm thinking back to my, you know, type A plus raging overachiever perfectionist law school self. I wouldn't have gone to a positive psychology workshop to figure out how to be happy. 
I didn't care if I was happy. I just wanted to be successful, I thought at the time. And I thought I knew what successful meant. I didn't. But if someone had told me the truth, and this is what I tell my students now, even if you don't care about being happy in its own right, which by the way, again, you should, this is actually going to turbocharge your professional performance, your endurance, and set you up to have real sustainable success. And so that's one part of positive psychology. The other part is looking at, okay, so you're telling me that my well-being is important. It's worth cultivating. What are the foundational elements? And so there's this model they've created. It's called the PERMA model of positive psychology. Some people add a V and call it the PERMA-V model. And basically what it identifies are the six foundational elements. And so it's one is positive emotions. That's the P. The E is engagement. R for relationships. Um, And importantly, that is not just romantic ones. It's any relationships. M for meaning A for achievement, and then V for vitality, which really relates to um, our physical bodies and our physical well-being. So things like sleep, diet, exercise. Okay. And so in my course, I'm sorry, just to to go back to the initial question, Mm -hmm. I teach this in the context of lawyers and other high achieving professionals. And so you know, how can they use this and incorporate these principles to maximize their personal well-being and success with, within the context of this crazy cutthroat profession that we live in? And the reason that I did that in particular is because one, lawyers all think that they're super unique. And so if you tell them you're just teaching them this thing that's really important for every other human on the planet, they'll be like, ah, that's not for us. You know, they don't know lawyers. It's not necessarily true. Um, but also I was the only lawyer in my positive psychology training program. And so I just adapted the materials to really speak to, you know, people of, of this nature and, and, and also to, to apply it in a way that would, that would get them in the door to pay attention to it. Well, how did they react to this? Oh, eight. So it quickly became one of like the most oversubscribed courses at the law school. My course fills up within three seconds, literally of course registration opening every semester. Um, the students and their reviews always, and granted I get, so this is selection bias. So only students that are open to this idea, um, take the course, but the reviews is everyone says, this is not like anything else I've ever learned in law school. And this is more important than everything else I've learned in law school. All lawyers should be required to take this class. And and then I get them calling me, you know, out in the profession a year out being like, one, I wouldn't be surviving my job if I didn't take this. But also we need more of this. And it was actually those conversations that inspired me to get my coaching certification so that I could provide this type of support for practicing lawyers and just other professionals out there in the world as well. In addition, in addition to teaching it, but it really it teaches something that this should be taught in all, it should be taught in all schools. It should be taught to all people because the basic elements of what, what actually, you know, gives rise to human happiness and how, why is that important? How can you cultivate those things in actually very simple, but almost invariably overlooked ways like that is that should be we should be teaching kids this in kindergarten um because we're so many of us are doing it absolutely the wrong way and I'm just even thinking back to myself every the reason that I burned out 
And the reason that I ultimately left the law and discovered positive psychology, Googling how to be happy was because my formula for what would make for a happy and successful life was 100% backwards. And I had no idea. And my conception of it had been reinforced by like everything around me culturally for my entire life. And I don't think I'm unique in that. I think I was just extreme in that. So how did the goals of the old model of lawyering, how does that shift to the goals for the positive lawyer mentality? Absolutely. And so the old model is that the way that you're good at your job is you work yourself into the ground, you sacrifice everything else so you don't have breaks, you don't have self-care, you, you're you under eye circles or a badge of honor, like social relationships, like, uh, you'd be, you know, that's not for the people who, the, the people who really care, just focus on their work. And so this can go in any respect, right? So this could be, you know, the corp, the, the, like, the white shoe corporate shark, or it could be the human rights lawyer who was like, you know, the the most, you know, morally upright person, but still thinks that the best thing that they can do for their clients is completely neglect themselves. And what the science shows is that, that is absolutely not right at all because our personal well-being is directly linked with our cognitive functioning, our ability to, you know, do our very best work, our energy, our stamina, our memory, our creativity, our problem-solving capabilities, all of these things. Also, just like our general resilience and ability to keep doing the work that we're doing, we need to be investing in ourselves so that we can provide the best quality representation to our clients. And that's why I actually teach positive psychology and well-being in lawyer professional responsibility courses because the ABA is and states are increasingly recognizing that this is actually like lawyers have a professional responsibility to care for themselves so that they, you know, are fit mentally and physically fit enough to zealously like represent their clients. Okay. So this was so excellent what you just said, because one of the big issues in the client attorney client relationship is the accessibility of the lawyer so i know just because i went to paralegal school and i had to study the ethics codes and all of that you're not supposed to take on more clients than you can handle meaning return phone calls and some type of timely basis emails and be in court, you know, yeah. and go to depositions and all the other things that you have to do. Um, and, and so it seems like quite a few attorneys are overwhelmed to the point where they can't meet those obligations. Yeah. So yeah. that's, you're talking about the lawyer it's, that doesn't have self care. Absolutely. And, and it's a huge, it's a, it's a huge problem. There's a lot of places that are just under, under resourced for sure. And so if you look at, you know, I mean, a, a lot of nonprofit, a lot of public interest work. I mean, uh, most lawyers, you know, they're under, they're understaffed. They have more cases than they should. And when you're just, when you're underslept, when you're undernourished spiritually, emotionally, socially, all of those things, you can't, you're just not as sharp um, as you yeah. would be otherwise. And you're doing a real, a real disservice to yourself and to your clients too. And, and it's interesting because you talk about family learning and there's a lot of the, 
it's such a, it's, I mean, it is such a hard thing. And there's a lot of, um, you know, secondary trauma that goes on for family law lawyers as well. And those who, the ones that fall into the category of the ones who deeply, deeply care about their, about their clients. And for them, beyond just the self-care of, you know, not making sure they have some time, they're not working constantly, constantly, you know, other practices that help them fortify themselves against like the emotional pain and stress that they are receiving, you know, indirectly because they care so much about their clients. And that's, that's important work for them too. So within the positive lawyering uh, philosophy, self-care is one of the most primary aspects of it. It's, I mean, so, so that is a, it's not, it's, that is the very primary aspect of it. And self-care in the sense, in a broader sense. So looking at those six elements and how can you cultivate them? How can you build rich relationships within your own life? How can you cultivate positive emotions throughout your- How can you cultivate positive emotions when you're dealing with negative situations? How do you do that? So it's, so I think that is, that's a great question. And And I like the question because it helps me kind of dispel one of the biggest criticisms of positive psychology. And so people often hear it and they're like, oh, well, that's just toxic positivity. Like, are you just telling me like everything's, everything's great? I'm supposed to just ignore all of the negative things and pretend that everything's perfect? No, absolutely not. One of the most important things um, for well-being is, you know, recognizing and honoring your pain and negative feelings. Like we can't just pretend that bad things aren't happening, but experiencing negative emotions and experiencing positive emotions are not mutually exclusive. And there are different ways that you can impact your overall level of well-being. One is by reducing the negative. And of course, we want to do that in every way that we can. But another way is by increasing the positive. And so looking for like how can, and so they call it the, um, there's a positivity ratio. They say that you need three, because bad, you know, evolutionarily is stronger than good. You need three, you know, positive emotion, experiences of positive emotions to out, to, to outweigh one negative one. So I like to think of it as like feathers and pebbles on a scale. You need a lot of little feathers so that you can outweigh, you know, the bigger things. In the case of a divorce, you know, you've got a big boulder there on the other side. And so how can you cultivate the positive? And so there's lots of different things that you can do, but one, one that I, I do with lawyers, but again, it's, been statistically shown to be so helpful for all humans is so cultivating gratitude. Um, and the, a very simple way to do this is, so there's this famous study, the three good things um, intervention. And so basically writing down every day, you write down three good things that happened in the past 24 hours or three things that you're grateful for. And Marty Seligman, who was the, the founder of positive psychology, he had in this landmark study, he had participants do this every day for one week. And then he followed them for the next six months. And what they found was that depression dropped, dropped dramatically and happiness 
increased substantially. And the crazy part was that this endured over the next six months following this week-long intervention. And what they found is that it's not that writing down three good things, and it could be it could be anything from as big as like, I won the lottery to the sun is beautiful today, or my coffee was really nice, or someone smiled at me. It can be very little things. What it does is it rewires your brain. It gets you in the habit of looking for the positive things, whereas we're always so hyper-focused on the negative, and that counteracts that negativity bias. And so you actually find yourself in your day, if you do it for a few days, it's wild, you'll notice yourself like looking around being like, oh, I know that I'm going to have to write down my three good things later. Like, what positive things could I put on it? And you're actually, you because what we focus on becomes our reality. We miss, you know, Mm. the vast majority of things that are happening around us because we're not focused on them. And just by shifting your focus in that way, you can, the science is you can increase your well-being, you can increase your resilience so, so, so much. Well, you know, that even goes for people going through divorce, Jordana. I mean, Mm -hmm. that is such a great principle that you just mentioned because, I mean, it couldn't be more negative. At least the first year of we should, you know, we're going to get a divorce. That whole first year is like a blur. It's an emotional blur. But you can pull yourself out of that sooner rather than later with what you just said about looking for three things that you're grateful for in the past 24 hours. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's, it's really, it's really, really powerful. And I think the other, another thing that I would just kind of put in a plug for, and I think is, I mean, this is a big focus of my class. And so the third, the, th- the third foundational element of the PERMA model, which is relationships. And so obviously you might think like, oh, well, that's so we don't want to focus on that here because the, the relationship, it's the relationship that's, that's the problem here. But this is particularly relevant now. We're recording this in February, which in addition to having Valentine's Day, it's also Heart Health Awareness Month. And there is so much research that shows how critical our relationships and social support are. And this doesn't have to be romantic. It can be any type of in, like intimate, you know, social support relationship, platonic, family, otherwise, for our mental and emotional well-being, but also for our physical health and even, even our longevity. And what I love in positive psychology is that there's this body of research done by this woman named Barbara Fredrickson. And what she focuses on is this, what she calls positivity resonance. And what she describes that as those fleeting moments where two people experience a mutual surge of warmth or joy or affection that causes them to have an experience of oneness. And what she says is that it's these micro moments of positive connection that ultimately give rise to the intimacy and connection that leads to love. And again, platonic love, romantic love, Mm -hmm. whatever. And there are so many opportunities in our day to form those micro moments of positive connection with another person. And again, we just miss them because we've got our eye in our cell phone or, you know, we're just racing on autopilot and even just trying to connect more. And the, and the science is crazy here. What it shows is that and this, again, this is especially important for people going through divorce is that the stress buffering properties of these micro moments of positive connection are tremendous and can actually cancel out the negative 
effects that stress have on our bodies and even dramatically increase our lifespan. And so like just, so what, the way that this works, just because I'm used to dealing with skeptical lawyers and they're like, "Ah, I don't buy it, is that, you know, every time that we connect with another person, our brains are flooded with oxytocin, which reduces our anxiety. It increases our ability to focus, but it also reduces the level of cortisol, which helps our our blood pressure and our heart rate go back to baseline more quickly, which then, you know, takes away from the long-lasting negative effects. And it's crazy. Studies show that, you know, people who experience high levels of stressful, high stress experiences in their life, if they're over the age of 50, they're more likely to die in the next seven years. But that effect is eliminated for people who rate themselves as having high levels of social support. And so... Mm -hmm. If we can cultivate these like micro moments of connection, not only will we be happier, which is very important, um, but we'll actually be more resilient as you go through this extremely difficult, challenging, stressful experience. Do you just coach professionals in their profession or do you coach the general public? Oh, no, I, I, I coach, I coach, I, I coach. So I say high achieving professionals, but I, 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 the my the people that I are really in my sweet spot are high achieving people who are sick of living lives of shoulds and ready to enjoy real satisfaction, meaning, and connection in their lives. And so I like to say, you know, realize their authentic vision of success because so many people, and this this was me, you know, spent their whole lives trying to do all the, the right things so that one day they would be happy. And and then, you know, what I happened for me is I realized is like I'm chasing this like elusive place in the future. And the truth is, is that if you keep thinking, I just need to do X, Y, and Z so that I can be happy tomorrow, tomorrow's never going to arrive. Like we got, we, there's only now and, and it's, it's time to do it now. And so yeah, any, any people who are really ready to start living life on their own terms um, and have greater happiness connection. um, I'm, those are the type of people that I'm excited to help. Well, you seem to be the living example of that. Without a doubt, you have lots of positive energy coming out of you. And and I just, and I love your ideas and you're in this profession that needs the mo- some of the most help we could possibly give. It's the lawyers, uh, not only for themselves, they're human beings, they need to be healthy, but they need to be healthy for their clients. Absolutely. You, you, you can't pour from an empty cup. And so it's, I tell the lawyers, you got to like, you, you have to take care of it. When people say self-care is selfish and I say, no, in order to be able to give for others, you need to take care of yourselves. Otherwise you're going to be no good for anyone else. No, self-care is a necessity. I was just talking, giving a workshop on this the other day. Self-care is an absolute necessity. It is not a luxury. It really is not. Jordana, wait, there was one more thing. It was about lawyers. I wanted you to give a tip for for lawyers. Okay. Um, The lawyers who just want to hurt, I'll get them. We'll fight. Can that be changed? Or is that, are there people that just have that natural aptitude that they need to fight? 
Oh, I think it, this is going to, you're going to laugh at me. I think I'm going to give you the most classic lawyer answer. It depends. I think some of them, I think some of them, and when I say that I only some of them, I think only some of them could be convinced to be willing to change. Um, I think that not all people are open to learning about how and why they might do things differently. Um, I think, unfortunately, a lot of lawyers that take that approach, it's often coming from a place of insecurity and they have to be able to address be willing to broach that um, in order to overcome that. But I also think that the more that we can start doing things a different way and demonstrate how effective it can be, that's going to be great in convincing people. And this is what I, so one thing that I work with a lot with my clients and my students is how a lot of the things that they think are propelling them forward. And so here I think mostly about their like self-criticism, perfectionism, those types of things. I tell them, you think that you're, you're successful because you know, you drive yourself so hard, you're super self-critical and they're adversarial in a way against themselves. Say those things are actually weighing you down. And if you you know, can be bold enough to try something a different way, you are, your mind is going to be blown by like how you catapult forwards and how much more effective you are. Like you've been successful despite those things, not because of them. And I think that the same is probably true for this like shark approach mentality. And so I think that the more people that can get out there and, and, you know, do it, do it a different way and show that they're, they're still getting the the great results for their clients. You know, I think that's going to be really helpful in changing the culture too. Boy, I hope so. This has been great, Jordana. I have just loved this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for being the unique individual who you are because Uh, very unique. I mean, you, you too. And this was so much fun. I'm really privileged to, to be able to spend this time with you today. Well, Ditto and touche on that. So we are going to have your information in the show notes, but for those people who like to scribble down some type of contact information listening to this, best way to contact you. Fabulous. So my email address is Jordana, which is Jordan with an A on the end, confino.com. So it's J-O-R-D-A-N-A C-O-N-F-I-N-O dot com. And my email is just Jordana at JordanaConfino.com. So that's a great way to contact me. I'm also on LinkedIn, Jordana Confino, and I'm excited to connect with you. Thank you. I just really appreciate this. Um, Yeah, this was a good conversation. And thank all of you for listening, as always. If you have any comments, you know you can go through my website, TheAmicableDivorceExpert.com. If you have any show ideas, I'm always interested in listening. And as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else.